Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California, this is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael, and today we welcome back to the show our good friend, Reverend Jim McGrath. He is the associate pastor at Gateway Christian Church and the executive director of Imagination Workshop. He's been on this show many times, and we love it when he comes on. Today, he's going to be exploring the role of ritual and theater in spirituality and healing, and he's Definitely the person to do this. So before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to our show. Um, we're really glad to have you guys. And as always, um, fun to have Jim back. So we're really excited about that. Um, you can get all the information on the show on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-A-X-T-H, all spelled out while you're there. If you can afford to, buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi. But if you're watching us on YouTube, then by all means, click like and subscribe. That helps us as much more than anything else you can do. So we appreciate that. Uh, next week, we may or may not have a show. Um, Krista's dad may have to have surgery and we may have to go help him out with that. So un unfortunately, we don't quite know yet. We're supposed to find out in the next few hours what the deal is, but uh, we may or may not. So I'm not gonna announce anything. And hopefully if we do check in and if we don't, we'll see you the week after. But, um, and that bell you hear is our crow, Lily. She is in the background dinging her little dinner bell. So I have to go feed her. So uh, therefore I don't wanna take up too much more time since Lily is calling. So with that, I'm going to kick it back to you guys. So take it away, Krista. Great. Thank you, Michael. That was pretty cute that Lily did that. So welcome to the show, Jim. It's great to have you back. Thanks. I, I hate not being there with you and, and seeing Lily. That's a, that's, that's, that's a shame. But yeah. other than that, it's great to be here. Yeah, it's too bad. We, we do miss the in-person, particularly with you. And it would be great if uh, Lily, we might have a show with Lily in it at some point and have a show about crows. But you've got to do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she's a character for sure. Crows are amazing. Oh, yeah, totally. So uh, so how would you like to start this? Did you want to give us a little sort of overall sense of where we're going with this? Did you want to start with sort of your own relationship to this topic? Uh, I'll start with my own relationship with this topic. Um we're we're looking at uh, sort of the the intersect between, say, organized religion, spirit, and theater, and the uh, you know all of that is as old as at least you know you go back to the ancient Greeks, and I'm, it's got to be a lot older than that. But plays like uh, Medea, Antigone. Oedipus Rex, these plays are a part of our DNA, and they're still performed today. Uh, Shakespeare plays are still performed today, and the uh, in in church services uh, in in the Christian church, uh, you have remnants of this. the The idea that through enacting things on on a stage or as as part of a communal ritual or something like that there is some kind of spiritual presence that is is called up when 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 people do this when when catholics uh, catholic priest says the mass and and people of you know people who have come to 
be part of the mass, have heard the mass, you know, at least weekly all their lives. It's the same. It doesn't change. But every time there is some kind of an experience that is uh, that people have that keeps them coming back. In 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 the Christian church, uh, in my church, I'm disciples of Christ. Um, and in most Christian churches, there is the uh, the celebration of the Lord's Supper, of uh, the communion, which is a reenacting of what we call the words of institution or the words that Jesus says in the Gospels uh, to the disciples during the Last Supper. Uh, he 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 gives them bread. He blesses the bread, and then he tells them that the bread, as they take it within them, is his body which is broken for them. And then the, the wine is his blood, which seals the new covenant, uh, as opposed to the old covenant. The new covenant being a covenant of forgiveness and a, a covenant of not having to face the eternal fires of hell uh, because of the new understanding that Christ has arranged between us and God. So the, and and these are things that you can you know you can say on the one hand well it's a game you know people are going through the motions and doing a thing uh but people have become very attached to these games and they uh you know through going through the paces of stepping up to the altar taking the wine taking you know through these actions they experience some kind <laughs> of a spiritual rebirth or if they didn't, why would they keep doing it? You know that 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 would be my question. I remember uh, when I was uh, a teenager, when I was like fifteen, I became very interested in acting and the theater. That was kind of my passion at that time, and I would be in high school productions, and I was in a high school production of the Thornton Wilder play, Our Town. Are you familiar with that play? Oh, vaguely. I, I recognize the title, but I don't think I remember what it's in it. Well, it's a play from the 1930s uh, during the Depression, uh, which uh, Thornton Wilder uh, created a play in which there would be no sets, no costumes, but they would recreate this life in this, uh, in this I think, New Hampshire town. Uh just by people coming on stage and going through the motions of being the townspeople and mm. going through the rights of uh, somebody having their first date, somebody getting married, and then finally the third act is is a funeral. And I played uh, the character George, who starts out as a young man. He falls in love with Emily. He meets her at the drugstore, and they sort of talk their way into a relationship. And then we go right to their their wedding where they're both nervous and they're both saying to their parents, I don't know if this is what I want to do. Uh, the, uh, and then they have the wedding and it all goes great. And then in the third act, Emily has died. Uh, she has had some sort of disease that has killed her. Hmm. And there is a funeral and you don't really know what's going on until about halfway through you get the picture. And in in that act, my character, George, has no lines. He just comes on at the funeral and just breaks down crying. Mm. And uh, as an actor, as a young actor with zero experience, 
this felt like quite a challenge. Uh, the, the two things I had to do in the play felt like quite a challenge. One was uh, that I kiss Emily in an open part. And, and that, you know, when you're high school students and I'm 15, I'm a sophomore in high school. And, and Emily was a, the, the girl playing Emily was some kind of popular girl. I wasn't a popular guy. She had a boyfriend and everybody told me he's going to be there the night you kiss her for the first time in the rehearsal. And he's going to beat the hell out of you. Well, I was scared to death, you know, of this guy. Uh, and we, you, but you did the, by going through these motions, uh, doing, doing the kiss and then doing the crying in, in, in the funeral service, I just experienced something that I, I didn't expect. And the challenge of crying as an, as a young actor, it didn't, it, it wasn't a challenge. I was really crying, uh, <laughs> because of the words uh. of Wilder's words that are said, uh, you know, over this scene, uh, took me there every time. Mm. Uh, so the you know our town is a play that is done everywhere all the time because it's cheap to do you don't right. have to sets you don't have to do anything like that it's just a reenactment mm. but it is in and it's a very ordinary kind of a play nothing really extraordinary happens in it mm. uh, it's it's a celebration almost of ordinariness and yet it's transcendent you mm. feel God's presence. Uh, in the audience watching this play, I saw it done at the Pasadena Playhouse a few years ago. Mm. Uh, and it just, that, you know, that initial experience, it really taught me something about uh, theater and 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 how, and, and immediately I transferred it to how I felt when I was in church and when I was going to communion and all this kind of thing. Uh, so there is something mysterious that happens. Uh, and... In uh, if you think about uh, simple things like the Christmas pageant, you know, when 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 you were a kid, uh, did you, were you ever in a Christmas pageant? No, we were not raised any religion in my family. <laughs> it had nothing to do with religion when I was. Well, a even kid. then, I don't know why I never got in one. <laughs> the lady next door would come by and say, "Your son is going to be in the Christmas pageant. Doing, he's going to play a shepherd, and that's it." And and the, uh, by taking part in the Christmas pageant and the neighborhood would come in that we'd have it in one of the neighbor's houses and there'd be refreshments and all the neighbors would come in and see it. Uh, it was just kind of a, a, a way to mark the season. Mm. Uh, and, but it was, it, it, when I think of, of Christmases when I was a kid now, when I think of them, I don't think about presents I got. I don't think about anything other than the Christmas pageant. I, I remember that huh. very clearly, uh, and and that's you know that's kind of when it happened for me. Uh, so, so uh, the, is it true from what I know, which isn't a lot, uh, that ritual came before theater, and that theater has its roots in ritual itself? Well, I think all of it. Uh, I mean, there's no, there's no. It's like what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, I mean, religion. Ritual, theater. The uh, if if you go back to the plays of the ancient Greeks, they're kind of all the same thing, you know, because the plays are about religion, or the plays are an experience of the religion of the ancient Greeks. Mm. Uh, religion is never far away. Uh, in the Shakespeare plays, religion, the hand of God, these things are never far away. Uh, the 
the this the sense of of tragedy the whole idea of tragedy is an any tragedy is an important statement about human life because it because in a tragedy the main character has to die in the end uh you see someone's whole life you see how how you know what someone's last thoughts in life are mm. with you know how, you know things like that um and that uh, and and it takes the character into death which take in a sense it returns the character to god the uh, and the, and the form of tragedy uh in, in terms of how we experience it in the western world in theater uh comes from the ancient greeks so that's the earliest known source uh, but uh, that's the stuff, the, the theater of the ancient Greeks is theater that's still with us, and the forms of it are still with us. And there's so many, you know, like Eugene O'Neill wrote plays that redid the the, the ancient Greek classic plays. Uh, the, there, there's a redoing, there's a revisiting mm. ritual uh, in, uh, you know, in in Masonic ritual. There's a there's there's a revisiting of the basic tenets of Freemasonry in every ritual and an embodiment of it, and that's that you know that's the the important step in it is the physical embodiment of something. When you uh you know when when you're in graduation when you graduate you're part of a big ceremony and. You, you're wearing a gown and you step up and you mm. ex the you know the 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 dean hands you your uh, your diploma and that's uh you know you have just been through uh, a coming of age moment you you have been through a moment that you'll remember forever and and most graduation ceremonies are the same i mean nobody really does it differently that's true you know, and and it's it can be really boring if you if you go to a high school with thousands of people. Sure. You know, your graduating class is twelve hundred names. You're sitting there with name, 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 name. You know, and and but if you're in it, if you're sitting up there and you're 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 walking up to get your diploma, I'm guessing the what you're experiencing is profound in that moment, as silly as the whole thing seems. Well, I remember being nervous, even though all you do is walk up with all these other people. No one cares what the people that, you know, know you might care. And it was I, I was nervous. You get excited. And even though it doesn't take very long. And uh, so there is some sort of excitement or some sort of sense of something's happening. And, and who knows? You're right. Maybe it's more profound than you think. And, and perhaps looking back, you can sort of understand it. But I, I do think it, in a sense, you sort of sense something is going to be different. Yes, you you've been through a rite of passage. You've gone through something, and your life will never be the same again. Uh, that that's the same idea in in the Christian Church as baptism. Uh, when when you are baptized, now there's two ways to do baptism. Two ways that churches do it in the Catholic Church. It's a sacrament, so it's a necessity. You can't do it. I, for example, have never been baptized. I'm a Protestant. I've performed baptisms i've never been baptized uh but in catholic church you you got to do it to be a part of the deal mm. uh and it's something that you usually experience in infancy so you don't really remember it right and there's no choice in the matter 
other people have decided you will be baptized and they carry you in and they do it. Um, in uh, my church, the Disciples Church, baptism is full immersion in 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 a baptismal font. You know, you and and it's something you don't do that to an infant. Uh, it's something that an adult decides to do. There's volition. Mm. You you choose to do it. And that's uh, the experience uh, of the immersion baptism is profound. I've never, you know, I've, I've done, I think, maybe four or five of them. I've mm. done one in a swimming pool. I've done several in uh. baptismal fonts and whatever. And the, the person who's going through it, it really is a profound experience. The idea of it is that you've cleansed your soul and you'll never sin again. Well, you will, you know, <laughs> I mean, let's face it. Uh, but still, it, it is a profound experience because of both your volition and your exposure to a, a tradition that has been going on forever. You know, and that's uh, and that's part of it. Now, that's and that's the embodiment, the uh, the experience of putting yourself through it. Uh, and I I think you know, for me, a life changing experience was auditioning for my first high school play, putting myself in there, putting myself in another person's body, walking in another person's shoes. It was a profound experience that that hooked me. And and I think a lot of people who become actors, they get hooked on on that experience of getting to be someone else. There's a liberation in it. And so I'm going to segue now Unless you unless you want to say something or no no go right ahead. I'm going to segue to my nonprofit uh, Imagination Workshop, uh, where we take theater artists and we go into a troubled uh, community or a, a troubled population, such as we started out in uh, psychiatric hospitals, locked wards. Um, we worked in homeless centers. Uh, we've worked with at-risk school kids. Right now, we work with homeless veterans at the VA. Um, and uh, the, the the workshop sessions are led by uh, two or three professional theater artists. Uh, you can see over here, uh, Marnie Olson is one of them, one of your frequent guests. Uh, yes. But the, they generally tend to be writers directors and actors mm. uh they generally tend to be actors mostly uh, i'm one of the few who's a writer but uh, marnie olson is also a, a she's all of that stuff she's a director she's a she's an immensely talented person we look for these people they don't grow on trees mm. find these people um who will lead a group of right now it's homeless vets in a session of basically make-believe where they uh, create a character that they're going to play. They name the character. They give the character an age and occupation, and they come up with a few details about a character. And then we'll have two of these characters. We'll do an improvisation where two of these characters meet on a park bench, hmm. and they have to get up, and we coach them. And so how does this character walk? Does, does this character have a different kind of walk than, than what your walk is? And so they'll, in creating a walk, they don't know it, but they're making a commitment 
to this art that is physical. They're, once they embody a character, they're into this transformative thing. And I have seen so many miracles happen when people who've never done this before, and the, 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 the main story I'll tell you, or the first story I'll tell you is our most famous story. I wasn't there for it, but I've actually seen an old black and white videotape where it happened. The, the founders of Imagination Workshop, a great playwright named Lyle Kessler and a wonderful actor named Margaret Ladd. They're a married couple and they created this work and they started it in New York City uh, in these locked wards in hmm. psychiatric hospitals. And you go into these places and, and you say to the staff members, I'd like, you know, like there's many people who, who would like to participate. And they had this one guy said, well, you don't, you don't want this guy. He's been catatonic for 10 years. He hasn't said a word or really made much of a movement hmm. in 10 years. Hmm. Uh, and they brought this guy in. And the exercise that we were doing that day was choose a historical character that you're going to play and then show us what what that character would talk like. And suddenly, out of nowhere, this guy started talking like Louis Armstrong. Oh, my. He was doing Louis Armstrong imitation. Wow. And he had said or done anything in 10 years uh and it was it was just it, the staff they were blown away i mean it was just it was an eye-opening thing but there is a liberation that is that occurs when you take on a role mm. and, and in some way uh physically commit to it uh and 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 it's that simple. I mean, that we have a lot of detail in terms of how we lead these workshops. But it really is that simple. It's that transformation of somebody uh, creating a character and then playing a character. Um, an, another instance, one I was there for, uh, a woman uh, whose name I won't give out because uh, she's actually now pretty well known in artistic circles. She's a very gifted artist. She this developed after I knew her. Uh, but she, this was when we were working at the uh, Neuropsychic Institute uh, in uh, at UCLA, now called the Semmel Institute. Um, and uh, she was someone who had survived an automobile accident in which her sister was killed hmm. and had not spoken a word, was unable to talk after that accident. Wow. Would do, she would do little, she would do little bits of sign language and make little, oh, uh, 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 make little noises, uh, but she wasn't able to talk. And she got in our group and she was, immensely creative and a lot of fun i mean she had kind of a an ability to do pantomime and make noises sort of like harpo marks she mm. had uh, she was fun to watch so she we would do these scenes where the other character would be talking to her and she would be kind of making sign language and and communicating without talking mm. but in one of these scenes one night she as the character she was playing began to talk uh fluently i wow. mean just began to talk and it was <clears throat> when the scene was over it was sort of back to the way she was but then after a couple of weeks a couple of more sessions she was talking hmm. and and it you know there was a slight hesitancy to it when she talked but it kind of went away uh and that that to me was amazing and she was very soon after that able to start going to job interviews again which hmm. she had been unable to do and um, 
you know, somebody asked her, I don't know, this, it seems like this ended up in a newspaper article. She was being interviewed. She became a pretty well-known artist. She was an immensely gifted uh, artist uh, with drawings. And uh, she was asked, you know, how did she make the change? And she said, I just thought if I could do that imagination workshop, I could do anything. Mm. That's the idea of it. That's the that's the feeling people get from it. Uh, you know, so, that, that reminds me of people that can sing beautifully that stutter or have speech impediments and then they, they can sing. And it seems like we really don't understand how the brain and... And no. the voice works at all. I mean, because that, that's what I thought of when you, you were saying that. And those are amazing stories of the part of the topic is, you know, the healing aspect of ritual and theater. And as you were talking about it, one of the things that is important that I think the Imagination Workshop emphasizes is that we all have these abilities to use ritual and theater. And, and you sometimes think, well, if I'm not going to become a, a famous actor or aren't some people better at it, that 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 isn't really the point of it. Um, that, that, it's funny. People come into it with that. I don't really have any talent. It's like, this isn't about talent. This isn't a talent hunt. This isn't something where you're going to train to be an actor for a living. This is an experience you are going to put yourself through. As many people do, you know, people who, who you know, or act in high school plays or people who, uh, um, you know, in the Boy Scouts, there's certain rituals you'll do. I, I imagine the Girl Scouts is the same thing. It's like you'll you'll act something out by the campfire, mm. you know, and it, it's it, it's 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 a personal experience that you have um, that has more to do with spirit, in a sense, than art. And the other thing that I wanted to bring up, um, maybe because of uh, going as an audience person, I love going to live performance, and I'm noticing a, a trend where the audiences are becoming uh, too involved with themselves. And the role of the audience in the ritualistic aspect of live performance, I think, is enormous for both the person performing and the audience, so that that healing energy is something that is received and given back, at least when I've gone to really, honestly, I don't think I've ever gone to a, a live performance that I thought was bad, even if it wasn't like it was amateur-like, there was something about it I enjoyed. It, it It's, I can honestly say that uh, about any live performance I've ever gone to. It's a great experience and it is sad that the theater is in such uh, poor estate right now. And of course, COVID hurt and all that. Uh, but it's, it's really, you know, you, you going to the theater now is a different experience than it was 10, 20 years ago, because you start, the first thing that happens when you're in the theater is somebody comes out on stage or a voice comes over and says, turn off your phone, uh, turn it off. And so when you, when you talk about audiences being self-involved, is that what you said? Yes. But what do you mean by that? What there, Okay, so when I go to a performance, and I wasn't taught this, uh, I go there to watch and participate and absorb what the performer is going to do. 
today's audience goes there to see what they can get from it a lot of times. And so, for instance, Michael and I went to see to hear Queen and everyone had their cell phones up the whole time in front of us. It totally impacted negatively our experience. It interfered with my feeling I could really just, you know, fully connect to. Uh, and so I, I'm not really happy with it. I think that there should be some limits, no matter what people want. But I also have I've been in a place like you where I grew up where there was no phone. And, I, you know, just the, the performances I saw, they just sear into you like it's it's you're losing out. Really, yeah. by I feel like it's a form of of narcissism to tell you the truth. <laughs> One of the things I've noticed about theater today uh, that just about everybody, every performance gets a standing ovation. This didn't used to be the case. I mean, anytime you go to a play uh, or uh, a concert, really, there's a standing ovation at the end. Mm. Uh, and I think. I don't think that's phony. I think that's because these people started their experience sitting in this theater in a self-involved way. And sort of the magic of the whole experience transformed them. What, you know, that when, when we do, you guys were great because you came to our imagination workshop play this last time. Um, it's so important when we put on one of these plays with the homeless vets that we get an audience because the audience kind of completes the healing process that they're going through mm -hmm. when they started this play. Uh, the, the audience gives them something really just by being there and, and their energy. And, and one of the things that Margaret Ladd, who was the found, one of the founders of Imagination Workshop, said the basic principle was why they started working with psychiatric patients uh, is that the experience of someone who has a mental illness or of, of some kind of illness like that is they, they, they have all of these intense thoughts and feelings that just get turned inward. Mm. And what an actor does, an actor has all these intense thoughts and feelings that they turn outward into an audience. And there is something really magic that happens when they do that. That is the opposite of debilitating. You know, it's right. it's uh, it's 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 an experience that is transformative. Uh, and and you know, people get uh, you know butterflies in their stomach before they go on. Especially people who've never done it before. They you know we 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 work with these vets uh, weekly at the VA in this room, and then suddenly the week of production, we're in this theater. And they're walking around backstage and they see the sets and they see this huge audience seats out there and they're like, whoa, uh, and they become terrified. Uh, and, 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 and that's a lot of our, when we're working with these people, the talking to them is before the performance when they're backstage going, oh man, I just don't think I'm going to remember my lines. I just, you know, and you go through this thing. And mm -hmm. I always went through it when I first started of, of, just intense fear and and what that is the butterflies in your stomach and what that is is your body preparing to be bigger than life hmm. and when you go out there on the stage 
you put all of that out there, you put all of that angst and whatever you're going through out there and you get a laugh or you get a, a you, you get some kind of energy from the audience and it's amazing. It's, it's transformative. Uh, you know, even, even if the performance does not go so well, it's that exchange uh, that being seen by an audience, that, that kind of thing. It's really transformative. And I, so many of these vets uh, the, who have been in our past plays, even though they're not homeless anymore and they're not at the, living at the VA anymore, they come back to, to take part just because they want to do it again. Mm. You know, and, and I know that there's, there's two or three of these guys, because I'm always trying to raise money for Imagination Workshop because we're broke all the time. Mm. Uh, and th these guys will come back and they'll just stuff these $100 bills into my pocket. Aww. You know, give this to the organization, man. It's, it's, it's really made the difference for me. Uh, and, and I, I can't, you know, the, the we, we do this at uh, New Directions for Veterans, which is a wonderful program for homeless veterans. Um, and, and I can't, I can't claim that we take the credit for the transformation in these guys' lives. They, they see, uh, they see counselors, they see, you know, therapists all day and, right. and work on while they live there, they work on some kind of future job and they, they get counseling on that. Um, and I've just seen so many of these guys when we started working with them, were just, you know, barely off drugs, uh, you know, trying to, you know, and, and as we work with them and as they go through the experience of doing a play, uh, you just see all that change. A lot of times we lose our best guys who were got big roles in the play because they graduated the program. They're not homeless vets anymore. Mm. You know, and, and you see this transformation all the time. And so it's that transformation that I believe in. Mm. You know, I, I this idea that people have today uh, that, that homeless people are just mentally ill refuse and what do you do? You know, you just got to clean them up and put them somewhere or whatever. Uh, the, uh, that, that's, I, I don't see that. I don't see that. Or or uh, the way a lot of people look at uh, uh, undocumented uh, immigrants. Uh, you know, it's just that humanity is an incredible resource. And as, as Gurdjieff once said, you know, we just use in a fraction of what's really there inside of us. We're just using a little piece of it, a little sliver of it. And we think that's everything. And that's one of the things that happens, I think, through theater, through ritual, and certainly when, when we do our imagination workshop exercises with people, is they discover that they've got so much more in terms of inner resources right. than they ever dreamed possible. That's one of the great things about art and artistic endeavor, is that it seems to come out of whole cloth, but it's an expression of, of what's really inside us. And there's so many amazing things inside us that we bury and habitually, and we're raised to do that, and we're educated to do that, and we're trained to do that by our culture or whatever, uh, that you got to fit in, you got to be this one thing, or you're a failure. 
you got you know you got to have a profession you got to go to college you got to make the grade you got to be this thing that's imposed upon you from without and we all go through that i'm not saying we need to overthrow that or that it's evil or anything like that i'm just saying that one of the unfortunate results of that and 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 celebrity culture this whole idea of you know you have to look if you're a woman you have to look this certain way or you're just a loser you know if you're a guy you have to have this amount of money or you're a loser you know all of these benchmarks that are culturally set for us have nothing to do with who we really are and how the spirit can enter into our lives and affect us and affect the world around us. But ironically, theater, which then translated into television and movies. Um, different thing, different it, thing completely. It's, it's different, yeah, because uh, it, it often makes, um, you were talking about people getting off the drugs. It seems like people get onto the drugs. And I'm not saying all film and movie by any means fits that category, but there is a whole different, like, ego and... Uh, strangeness that can happen with a filmmaking and television, though, of course, it, you know, leaks through any, anyway, the spirituality does leak through, you know, but it, it's just kind of ironic when you think of where it's rooted and how, you know, you'll, you'll see that there are people like Glenn Close that love theater still. They, they, they act to do theater and that's what they, they pay, you know, because you, you can't usually make a lot of money in theater. So they, they, they use it to fuel their third. I've heard that about it. I don't know if it's true, but there are, you know, famous uh, movie people that really prefer theater. Well, there's no I, I, theater is fundamentally different from film or television. I've worked in all three. And uh, I, I, I think that the experience of doing a film or the experience of of being in a, a television show as an actor or as a writer or any of that is fundamentally different from theater, and 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 the and, and theater can't be monetized in the same way because in the same for the same reason that I have trouble raising money for Imagination Workshop, we can't do what we do with thousands of people all at once, right. or millions of people all at once. It's how many people can you get into a room uh, to be there physically for the experience. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, and that's absent in film and television and all of those things. It's, uh, it's, it's the, and, and in, in performing a play, say you're performing King Lear, it's three to four hours long. Uh, you're doing the whole thing. So you're having this whole experience together in one night. You know, in a movie, you film a movie over a period of weeks or months and you right. film it out of order and it's put in and the, the editor is doing things with it. The The actor's performances are largely made by the editor and, uh, uh, you know, the musical score is added later and the, the, the various CGI elements, the special effects, all that it's a process, and I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying it's not the same thing as doing the whole thing right there in one night. It's like uh, in in Freemasonry doing the third degree uh, ceremony. It 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 uh, the, the you know the ritual. It tells a story 
and the people involved in it are embodying the story. And even the people who are just watching mm-hmm. uh, are transformed by it. You know, it's just, it's an experience because we're all in that room together. Right. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. And I'm not suggesting that actors in the theater are totally healthy. Totally, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that at all. Uh, I'm just talking about the experience that an individual has who does this for the first time or who takes part in it. There is a healing that happens. And it, uh, it's something that I, I can't really explain. I've just seen it over and over and over again. I've seen uh, so many people who have, you know, found, found new lives. A, a lot of the, the homeless vets that we work with in Imagination Workshop, they are trauma victims. Uh, either the trauma of warfare, a lot of the female veterans are rape victims, uh the whatever it is they've been through trauma mm. you know I, I was just hearing one guy talk uh, last tuesday night about his experience um in uh afghanistan which he wasn't involved in directly he was just he heard it he heard the gunfire and uh he had to be hospitalized afterwards just because of the trauma of being around in a place where so many people got killed right uh, the uh, and and trauma is something that I think it, it's becoming more and more people becoming more and more aware that trauma is something that affects everybody, uh, and and it affects us long after we think we're over it. Yes. Uh, and and the uh, so these people that we work with are trauma victims, and to the point to where their lives have stopped. They're unable to put a roof over their heads. They're unable to hold down a job. They, some of them have become drug addicts, whatever. Uh, and in that uh, experience, when they come into New Directions for Veterans, they're in these sessions all day with shrinks and counselors and whatnot, where they have to relive their trauma. Mm. They have to go through, now, what, what happened? Well, the bullet hit my friend. He was sitting right next to me, and suddenly the guy was dead, and it just it, it, it messed up my life. And they, they go through this yeah. and examine it and right. relive it over and over and over again, not just in their own heads, but in counseling. They right. have to sort of go back over it. But when they're with us, when they come into their imagination workshop, they don't have to be a trauma victim anymore. Mm-hmm. They create a character. Right. You know, just create a guy. What is he? He's an astronaut. Okay, what's his name? Bill Bailey. Bill Bailey, the astronaut. How does he walk? Does he have? You know, what 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 are he? What are his? Uh, what are his virtues? What are his characteristics? And they they create this thing, and they get to spend this time using the imagination. Now, trauma shuts down the imagination. That's the main effect that it has, mm. because you don't want to get if you've been through something that you just don't want to think about again. Right. You know, you're afraid of the imagination. And um, so our very simple exercises uh, sort of reignite the imagination. And and oh, and once it's open, once that door is open, it's open. Yes. And, you know, they experience creating a character out of whole cloth, something they just made up. And uh, and there, there's there's a joy in it. And then they don't get criticized for it. Nobody's telling them this isn't real. This is, this is silly. This is stupid. You're, you're, 
you're acting like a jerk. Nobody's telling them that. Right. Telling them, great, we love this. This is great. You know, we we just, you know, whoa, that's wonderful. You just made that up. Wow. Uh, and they're getting, you know, they're getting a lot of positives. So, so it's not just the lack of, of, um, of, of boundaries. It's, it's the sense that there, it's actually a good thing that the imagination did something. It's actually a good thing. And, uh, so what that does, once they get their imagination going again, they, they develop, and I just see this and I hear them tell me this over and over again, they develop an ability to think about the future. Hmm. not just dwell on the past, not just live in the identity of being a trauma victim. I'm not saying that goes away. Right. Uh, I'm just saying that there's somebody else there too. I remember when I, when I went to a shrink uh, many, many years ago and I would go in and I'd just complain about all the stuff that's getting me down. And she would say, who else is there? Hmm. Who else is there inside you? Who else? Somebody else come forward. Uh, and, 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 and that's the thing, you know, you, you, people and, and people in our culture, I think are, are encouraged to dwell on this negativity, dwell on regret, dwell on resentment. Uh, you know, politics now are all about resentment and, you know, how much we hate this guy and how much, you know, all of this stuff. And it, it becomes who we think we are. Right. It becomes the whole thing. And and that's where, you know, we're really missing out. That's where we're missing out. So that, you know, the My Nonprofit Imagination Workshop, that's kind of what we preach. That's that's what we uh, are, are dedicated to is, is people finding who else is there. You know, people who are troubled and whatever. Who else is there? It's not like, yeah, we get you. It's very, it's a very tough nonprofit to raise money for because we don't provide food for the homeless, shelter. We don't get people jobs. We don't do any of that. Right. But they do it a lot of times when they've been through this process hmm. in a way that they couldn't have thought about doing it before. And that's the whole thing I think uh, that people need is they need that sense of being self-directed. That sense of I've got this thing out there I want, and I'm going to try to get it. I, I got this thing out there I want to be, I want to achieve, or whatever. You know, maybe if I got an apartment, maybe I could get one of those apartments over on Pico in the public housing. If I go down and sign up, and you know, and then they get their place, and maybe I could decorate it in a way that you know, it's so different when they're in that realm from being in the realm of I'm homeless, I'm on drugs, I got no hope. I wanted to sort of add that I know we've talked a lot sort of about the Christian rituals and my background is involved in Buddhism. And one of the things they they do in Tibetan Buddhism is that they teach you to visualize that you are these de deities and it's a very, very meticulous what you wear, what you look like and then the energy. And it is also a way, even if you can't like see clearly, it's a way of reimagining who you could be with these traits and it all is in the imagination too and it really does have an effect uh i can i can say for myself having done it for quite a while and it's the same idea of using your imagination 
to see other aspects of who you really are, because it's already in you those that the nature is already there. And we just have to allow it out and also water it. We that's what Thich Nhat Hanh talks a lot about is like, what do you water on a daily basis? And that's what's going to grow and flourish. And when you're homeless, you know, because a societal sort of prejudice is you're, you're constantly having to really go up against these really negative views of you, even though most of the time, homelessness seems to be caused by a trauma that we humans have created. <laughs> you know, war, uh, poverty, we create poverty. It, it really, anyone could be homeless, I think, well, it, personally. And it's also caused by greed. And greed. It's, it's absolute you know, greed rather than, it, it, and that in our culture, I'm not saying we should all be communists, but I am saying that in our culture, the profit motive, that's a good thing. Uh, but greed, uh, it, 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 it takes away, there, there's, there's no overall view of how are people to live? How are people to have decent housing and have a kind of a, a, a world in which they can go to work buy groceries, go home and have a roof over their heads. And that's, there. there's no real drive behind fixing that. The thing, the thing you always hear, you know, about, about the homeless problem is, well, it's a mental health problem. So those people are homeless because they're mentally ill. Or are they mentally ill because they're homeless? I mean, think about Actually, it. I did come across a study when I was writing for The Beachhead. It was a really good study. It showed that um, most anxiety and depression, many mental illness uh, are results of poverty. Things like schizophrenia, schizophrenia are not, but that it arises because of the poverty. And it was a legitimate study. And I remember like saying, why don't people talk about that instead of like, oh, well, they're mentally ill and then they become homeless. No, no, that's not what the study showed. Yeah, yeah. And, but it's also when you say, oh, it's a mental illness problem. So that's the answer is mental illness. We fix mental illness. Really? How? You know, it, it just, how, how exactly do you plan to do that? Um, there, there, there's no, you know, it's, it's, it's like the thing with, with guns and all of these, uh, these shootings you see, they say, well, the, the, it's not because there's all these guns available. It's because of mental illness. It's a mental illness problem. <laughs> and, and once you reduce it to that or put it in that category, uh, what's your solution? What, what then, uh, the, it's you know that it becomes kind of just just a label that you you know this person's mentally ill let's put them over to the side right the side somewhere. uh that's uh that's no solution no no and then and then you the, the mental health criteria also is a whole nother topic because it's filled yeah. with a lot of negative skeletons in it and yet there's some very positive things too with the the mental health uh, growth, but we're still uh, there's a lot of problems with even what is mental illness and and what isn't mental illness, and uh, so that alone deserves like uh, I think uh, its own topic if you want to look at it from a spiritual point of view. Maybe there's more and more research going on now about arts and mental health, the role that arts play in mental health, and that's uh, a way of dealing with mental health that does not involve drugs. 
It does not involve, you know, anything expensive. It's it's just it's a way of uh, finding a new answer, and and I think I think you know the arts are it. Now I hate to take away from the church and the spiritual and all that, um, and and I'm not I'm not taking away from that at all because all of that is present in in religion and in organized religion. Uh, all of that is present. The arts are very present. It's true. I mean, I, I, I think that there isn't one path. I think there's uh, many paths. Uh, I agree with you about the arts. And there there's always, like, you know, funds being cut. And it, it doesn't make any sense to me, honestly. You know, it, it's, it's, it's again, uh, it has to do with uh, what the will is of the people in charge. And, you know, just continuing to do it anyway has an effect. So even on a small level... Uh, I did want to say, if someone wanted to donate uh, to the Imagination Workshop, oh, where, would, Imagination Workshop. where yes. would they go? Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, we, we any kind of a donation, I'm talking $10, $100, whatever, you, you it, it goes right to our service and right to our ability to bring uh, gifted artists in to work with uh, homeless veterans and, and to put on a show. And all of that is it's in, it's money well spent if what you're interested in is healing because we see a lot of it. So the way to do that is to go to imaginationworkshop.org, imaginationworkshop all one word all lowercase dot org, and when you go to our website there will be a donate button, and that pretty much I guess it works uh, through PayPal. Uh, the uh, I'm thinking you can do it with a credit card also. No, though now that I think about it, but that's that's the best way. Um, another way uh, would be to send us a check, and I'm just wondering if I can uh, give the address. Uh, if uh, just let me just get this up. We can. Uh, uh... I think, you know, some people just hear this, so we can you can go ahead and put it in the comments, and, and maybe what Michael could do is add it somehow to the website. We usually have the guest's information on our website. Uh, so uh, I would say, there, and then perhaps just if they can go to the Imagination Workshop website, would there be an address there that they could yes, find? Yes, there would. There would. Our that address... might be just the easiest to, to say online. Okay, just to say it, though, our address is... Imagination Workshop, 760 Westwood Plaza, Los Angeles, California, 90024. Uh, that, that's the address. But yeah, the website would pretty much give you everything you need. And you can, you know, if, if there's, uh, it, you know, it, there, there's a comments ability in the website and all that. So that would be great. Uh, the, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always raising money for it. And it's uh, it's it's been kind of a difficult year because we used to get this uh, grant from the California Arts Council, mm. Veterans in the Arts, which was perfect for us. Right. Uh, but they stopped offering it. Oh. And so that that's been the major grant that's kept us alive over the last three or four years. And the other grants have gotten the the, the granting process has gotten more and more difficult, uh, especially for us. Because as I said, there's there's so many people in need for so many things, right? And we don't offer material substances to solve the problems. What we're offering is much more ephemeral, sure. And 
and kind of difficult to describe in a grant proposal. Uh, but um, but if you go to our website, there's videos, there's different, you know, there, there's there's different th- ways you can learn about us. So thank you for letting me plug that. Sure, sure. Or do you have a performance coming this year? We do, yeah, uh, we do. Uh, we don't have a title for it yet because it is in the workshop. Uh, but it will be in June. Uh, usually it's right around the Friday of Father's Day weekend. So let me just see when that'll be. Um, that That is uh, going to be June 14th. Hmm. Uh, Friday night is when we'll do, I think. The June 14th or June 15th. I don't know. I could be wrong about that. But it's mid-June. Well, we very much enjoyed it. Was it the Black Pearl? Is that right that we saw? The Black Diamond. The that Black Diamond. Sorry. Yeah. Here is, you'll, you'll see there the it is, right. projected on a screen. Black. It, it was and really enjoyable. Have, I loved it. We have the cast assembled behind me uh, of the Black Diamond on the night that we performed it. And it was a lot of fun. It was. It was. It was very. It was a very good play, and I thought the acting was really good. We. I, I really enjoyed it. So I think, even if you're not into the cause, it's. It. It was a wonderful thing to it's go a out. Fun and, night. It and was a fun we, night. It's sort. Of, it's a mix of homeless vets who've never acted before and professional actors. You know, they're all working together, and sparking each other in ways that are just fascinating. So it's. A, it's a great night. Yeah. Well, I think uh, maybe let's just sort of think of something or ask you what you might say towards the end of our show. We have about three minutes about the concept of spirituality and theater. Uh, Just to our regular audience, what would you like to sort of close with? I'd like to say that in, uh, in, in physically embodying a role, uh, in whatever it is, a church service, uh, a choir rehearsal, you know, anything like that, and and being present in the room. And of course, we're living in an age where people are less and less present in the room. And it, it, by being physically present in the room, you experience a wonderful transformation. If you take part in a community theater play, play a role in any of this kind of stuff, even if you're not interested in being an actor per se or whatever, it is an experience that you will never forget. And it could be very helpful to you. I love that. And I love, I love that you emphasize this whole concept of embodiment as we move more and more into the virtual world. Maybe we need even more to do that deliberately because we often have to be in the virtual world these days. Well, that's I I think that's how things have gotten so snarky. You know, it's like people who are at their computers or at their phones can say nasty things to people that you'd never say to people if you were face to face with them. And we need to be face to face more and live in that in that reality rather than in the reality of the kind of negative judgments we pass back and forth without even thinking about it. I I think that's really uh, definitely true. And I I've even seen people I know that I know would never say something like that in person. So, you know, of course, there are people that are like that. I do have friends that will always say what's on their mind in person. And I actually kind of admire that they do it in person. (laughs) 
Well, as long as as long as they're willing to physically embody it, that's what I'm talking exactly. about. Exactly. So you want to physicalize it, and in doing that, you go through a personal transformation. That's true. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show again, Jim. We totally enjoyed you. Thank you for having me on the show. I love your show, and I love being here. Well, thank you. And thank you all for listening in. Join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a magical week.